see you all. Good, good group this morning. Nice to have all the family here, and we have guests with us this morning as well. So glad to have you, and we welcome those who are joining us online. Just as this familiar historical account of the Mayflower has a rest of the story that maybe is a little less known, so likewise with the gospel. The gospel is familiar to probably all of us in here and most of America, that Jesus died for our sins on the cross so they could be forgiven, we could be forgiven and go to heaven. That's part, that's part of the double cure of grace that almost everyone's familiar with. But there's a rest of the story to the gospel that maybe we're a little less familiar with. And that's the part that deals with sanctification. After we're saved, we have a life to live. And, and sanctification is this gradual, progressive process of becoming holy, becoming more and more like Christ and God. On the back of your bulletin today where my outline is, I have a definition of sanctification there that comes from Jack Cottrell. Sanctification means becoming more and more conformed to the will and nature of God as revealed in His Word. So we're in this sermon series called The Rest of the Story, and it's all about sanctification. And we talked last week about making sure we're engaging the power of the Holy Spirit in this process. So we're not trying to become holy just under our own steam and grinding it out with our own willpower. And I talked about my motorcycle, and I had rolled it out of the garage and into the driveway before I started it and tried to start it. It wouldn't crank. The battery was dead, and I had to push the motorcycle, 550 pounds, up the driveway into the garage, and that's a lot of hard work. A lot easier to ride a motorcycle than it is to push a motorcycle. Well, what I found out last week, not only was the battery dead, but the tires were low, low on air pressure. Like, instead of 45 PSI, they had 10. And so once I filled up the tires with air, it pushed a lot easier, and it rode better as well. And we want to make sure in our journey of sanctification, we're riding the motorcycle with the battery fully charged and a full tank of gas and air in the tires. So we want to pull it up this morning and fill her up with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says be full of the Holy Spirit. Make sure we're full of the Holy Spirit. We're relying on the Holy Spirit. We're engaging the Holy Spirit in this process. Now, in the message last week, the first message in the series, we talked about step number one, to engage the Holy Spirit is faith. Faith. We need to understand what the Bible teaches about our identity in Christ. We're new creations in Christ. We're dead to sin, but alive to God. We have to believe that and embrace it because we will live out of our identity, whatever we perceive that identity to be. So faith is step number one. Huge. We're moving on to a second step this morning, and that is prayer. Again, we're talking about engaging the Holy Spirit's power in this process of our progressive sanctification and it is prayer. And I'm not saying these are mechanical, sequential steps necessarily. They're overlapping practices in our lives. But I want to talk about the prayer aspect of it today. And I have three things to say about this prayer. This prayer for sanctification is regular. It's a regular prayer. And look at some verses in Colossians here. Colossians 1.3, we always pray for you. Colossians 1.9, so we've not stopped praying for you. Colossians 4.1, Devote yourselves to prayer. These things are issues of faith. These truths, the whole issue, process of sanctification in the Holy Spirit, that's an issue of faith because they're not things that we see with our physical eyes. So if you had a problem this morning, you had to be taken to the emergency room, and they determined you needed an emergency appendectomy. And they stretch you out on the operating table, and the surgeon opens you up. Maybe he's got a little assistant here that he's teaching. He says, all right, now look there. There's the heart. There's the lungs. There's the liver. 
oh, there's the Holy Spirit. We need to move him out of the way so we can get to your appendix. That's not going to happen. He's not going to see the Holy Spirit. We do not see the Holy Spirit. We believe in him and his presence and his work by faith. Just like we believe and trust that our sins are forgiven. Not because we necessarily feel that way all the time, but because God has told us in the Bible, our sins are forgiven. So it's an issue of faith. Now, prayer, by its very nature, is an act of faith. Prayer is an exercise of faith. Because what we're doing when we pray, well, what are we not doing? When we pray, we're not doing doing. Right? We're not doing doing. We're not doing we're not acting. We're not out there making things happen. I'm not saying that prayer is not a work. It, it is a work, but it's a spiritual work. It's a work of faith. Every minute that we spend praying, every time we pray, we're stepping back from our, our actions and our own willpower and our own effort, and we are affirming to ourselves and to God that there is a God. He is the God of the Bible. He has made certain promises to us, and He's a promise keeper. There are things that He will do for us if we pray, and if we ask Him to, and He will keep His promises, and He will work in our lives and our circumstances and other people's lives and other people's circumstances if we pray. So this first thing that I'm saying right here is very straightforward and simple. It's just to be a man or a woman of prayer. Now let me qualify something here. I, I don't want to come across as presumptuous. I actually assume most of us are, are already doing this. We're, most of us are already are people of prayer. I know we have some prayer warriors out here. We have a lot of people, I'm sure. I could step down and you could step up here and do a clinic on prayer that we would all learn from and benefit from. So I, I'm not trying to demean anybody, but we also, there are those who struggle with prayer or establishing that regular practice and discipline of prayer. And a lot of times, the, the, the perception is that the issue is is time. But I want to say this morning that the issue is never time. It's always faith. It's always faith. If, if we're not praying, it's not a time issue. It's not because we're busy. It's a faith issue. It's because we don't believe. That's what it always is. Now, let me give you a hypothetical. Let's say hypothetically this morning that somebody challenges you to get up in the morning one hour earlier than you currently get up. You receive the challenge. Now, I'm not challenging you to do that. This is a hypothetical. Let's say hypothetically somebody challenged you to get up one hour earlier than you currently get up so you can devote some time to reading the Scripture, meditating on it, and having some prayer. Now, in some people's minds, this would be the immediate reaction. Are you kidding me? Get up one hour earlier? Do you know how sleep-deprived that I already am? Do you know I've got these kids? Do you know that I work a job? I work two jobs, and I go to school. You know how busy I am? Hey, maybe all right for you to get up an hour earlier, preacher man. Maybe all right for you to get up an hour earlier, retired man or retired woman or Mr. Holier, holier than that. But me, there is absolutely no way that that's ever going to happen. Right, some people might have a reaction like that. But let me think this through for a minute. Now, in the fall, we fall back. We just have got that hour. We fall back. In the spring, we spring where? We spring forward. So here comes, so let's say spring rolls around, daylight savings time. It's time to spring forward, set our clocks ahead one hour, and everybody in this room manages to get up the next day one hour earlier than they did the day before. 
regardless of how many kids we have, regardless of how many jobs we have or classes that we have or how busy we are or how sleep-deprived we are, we somehow manage to get up one hour earlier that day than we did the day before because it's never, with prayer, it's never a time issue. It's always a faith issue. And if we're not carving out the time to spend some time in prayer, I want to suggest that the Holy Spirit is not helping us in our sanctification. We're living our lives as practical atheists. Oh, yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe. But in a practical way, we're just living as atheists as if there was no God of the Bible who made promises and said to pray and devote ourselves to pray and Holy Spirit who's supposed to be helping us. We have to be regular about this process. I know, i just give you an example in my own life. I get up an hour, get up an hour earlier than I have to. Uh, I spend 20 minutes reading the Bible, actually listen, listening to it on version while I'm getting ready in the morning. It's 20 minutes exercise, and then 20 minutes walking around the neighborhood, usually around 6 o'clock, and that's when I'm doing my prayer time. And that's just me. It's not a comparison thing. It's not, oh, you should get up at 6, and you should spend that amount of time doing those things. It's just an example. It's not a contest. I don't care if you pray at 6 in the morning or 6 at night, or you pray inside or upside or upside down. It doesn't matter. The point is just to be a person of prayer. Now, I'll give, let me give a plug. Caleb Baker right here. Caleb, raise your hand. Spell with a K. His, uh, he's got a podcast. What is it? Daily Habits, right? Daily Lifestyle Habits that I listen to every day. Listen to the one yesterday. Happened to be about how to establish a morning routine in 15 minutes. Excellent, excellent. You can search on uh, Caleb Baker on your podcast, Spell with a K. You'll pick it right up. So give you a plug there because I don't have time to go into that this morning. But that would be a great thing to do. My, my primary point is let's make sure we're men and women of prayer. Number two, this is not only a regular prayer, it's an informed prayer. Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? We need to be informed about this. What, we're, what are we talking about here, being led by the Spirit of God? Uh, I was reading a story that was told by John Cassis. John Cassis was the chaplain for the Chicago Bears back in the 80s when they were at their peak, Chicago Bears. And he tells a story about how Mike Dick, the coach, got the team in the locker rooms, about to give him one of those locker room speeches, and he turned to William Refrigerator Perry and said, Perry, when I finish this speech, I want you to lead our team in the Lord's Prayer. Yes, coach. And he starts giving his talk, his locker room talk. Well, Jim McMahon, who was the quarterback at that time, and not, not necessarily known for his great intellect, but he was the quarterback. He nudges John Cassis, who is the chaplain, and says, hey, I don't think Perry knows the Lord's Prayer. Look at it. They look at him, and sure enough, he's all distracted. He's looking down the floor. He's rubbing his face. He's sweating. And the quarterback says, I will, he, he bet the chaplain, said, I'll bet you 50 bucks that William Perry does not know the Lord's Prayer. And John Cassis said, kind of ironic, he's the chaplain. Here he is betting Jim McMahon that William Perry, Refrigerator Perry, doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. So finally, Mike Dicka gets done with his locker room talk. He nods to William Perry. Sure enough, Perry bows his head and leads the team. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But, but John Cassis said he felt a tap on his shoulder, and Jim, Jim McMahon handed him a $50 bill and said, I had no idea that William Perry knew the Lord's Prayer. story. What's my point? We want to be informed here. But what does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit? All who are led by the Holy Spirit, these are the sons of God. Let me go negative and then I'll go positive. Let me suggest what does not mean to be led by the Holy Spirit. I don't, want, I don't like people to be set up with false expectations. 
if I understand what the Bible teaches. Being led by the Holy Spirit does not mean that the Holy Spirit is revealing to us new knowledge and new revelation from God. It does not mean that the Holy Spirit is leading us through emotions or feelings or visions or dreams or a still, small voice. It doesn't mean that when you walk into the voting booth, the Holy Spirit tells you you should vote for candidate A for Indian River District 4 mosquito control instead of candidate B. Let me read you a quote from theologian Jack Cottrell about this. The Bible teaches, he says, the Bible teaches its own sufficiency as a guide for holy living. We should pray for wisdom and understanding and applying the Bible, but we should not expect new information to pop into our minds. Any dependence upon inward subjective feelings for guidance or upon personal experiences of any kind as an assurance of the Spirit's presence and will is very risky. In fact, leaves one open to satanic deceit. Bob Russell tells of a man who brought him occasional messages from God. Quote, God spoke to me last night and told me I should share this scripture with you. Russell expressed to the man his doubts about such claims, the verbal revelation today. The man was undaunted. He told Russell that God had spoken to him and revealed that his estranged wife would return to him within two weeks. That never happened. The man appeared six months later and declared God told me several months ago that I should go to another church. But he still continued to listen to these messages. And Cottrell says, since there are, there are no inspired men living today, the only witness which we have of the Spirit to us is found in his written word. His written word. I've had the same experience that Bob Russell talks about. You can lay out the scriptures. Look at the, let's look at the examples of conversion, the book of Acts, all of them. They look like this. And I've ha I can have people say, yeah, I know it looks like that in the Bible. I know that's what you believe, but that's not what happened to me. Let me tell you about my experience. You know what the answer is to that? There is no answer. Because we do not have a common frame of reference. When you, if you come to the Discover class and you're thinking about this as your home church, the first thing I will teach in that class is we are a church that goes by the Bible and the Bible alone as our only rule of faith and practice. We always judge experience, feelings, and so on by the Bible, not the other way around. The danger is relying on our feelings, our urges, our emotions, our experiences, and elevating that, making that supreme over the written word of God. I think it's a big mistake to take what Jesus said to the apostles in John chapter 16 to the apostles, that the Holy Spirit will come and lead you into all truth and apply that to non-apostles. Or what the apostle Paul said about him and his own inspiration in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that I'm taking spiritual thoughts and combining them with spiritual words. That's what an apostle did. The apostles and prophets wrote the Bible. That was the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the apostles and prophets was revelation. The ministry of the Holy Spirit to us is sanctification. Now, so, I said, what it's not, what it is. What is it then? What does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit? Let's get the larger passage before us in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 14. You can follow. This is a long passage I'm going to read, but I'll read it quick, and you can follow the scriptures on the screen. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. Now, here's the thing. We're going to focus in on these last two verses, 13 and 14. 
But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The key to understanding, verse 14, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit, is verse 13. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, which are the sins that we struggle against, we're calling on God's power, God's, the Spirit of Christ within us, the Holy Spirit within us, to put to death the sins that we still struggle with in the flesh and to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The, think of the ministry and the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives not as revelation and knowledge, but as power. It's power. It's moral influence for our weak wills. So he empowers us and strengthens us gives us what we lack for sanctification. Moral will, moral influence, and moral power. Now, third thing about this prayer, it's an engaging prayer. So we're praying a prayer to engage the Holy Spirit in our lives in sanctification. There are many verses we could look at, but here is a key verse, maybe the watershed verse for this kind of ministry of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3.16, where Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So we're going to pray this prayer, not in a general sense. Oh, Lord, out of your generous riches, may you strengthen me with power in my inner being to live a holy life. We're not going to go real general on this. We're going to go specific on this. Father, we pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen me with power through your spirit in my inner being so I can fight against the anger that wells up in me when I'm talking to somebody who voted somebody they weren't supposed to vote for or lord that you will strengthen me out of your glorious riches with power in my inner being through your holy spirit so that i can defeat these thoughts of lust or envy or covetousness of hostility of anger of hate get specific with those things with which we are struggling and call upon god and the holy spirit to empower us to put those deeds of the flesh to death, and then on the positive side, to be producing in us the fruit of the Spirit. I know one thing I like to pray when I'm doing my prayer time. Father in heaven, I am loving, I'm joyful, I'm peaceful, I'm patient, I'm kind, I'm good, I'm faithful, I'm self-controlled. Lord, please make that true about me. Make that true about my life. May your Holy Spirit be working in me to produce this fruit and these things. Uh, this is the serious business of prayer. It's not a prayer we toss off that's flippant just on our way to work. I know it's important to have a conversation with the Lord all day long, but this is one of the reasons it's so important to set apart some time in faith to pray these kinds of prayers. Hebrews 5, 7. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered up prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. We don't have to be super articulate in prayer. We offer to God the best that we could. We pray, even if it's not articulate. And God will take that prayer. And the Holy Spirit will help us with that prayer. Romans 8, 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit will not pray for us if we're not praying. But when we pray, he helps us in our prayers. And he helps us in all of our weaknesses. That's a general principle of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ who lives in us in sanctification. He is helping us in our weakness. Let me give you one last analogy here of Holy Spirit sanctification. We talked about the motorcycle. Uh, and that's the rowboat 
or the sailboat. So you know the rowboat. You get in the rowboat. You've been in a rowboat before, or you've seen somebody. You got the two oars. You get in. Just imagine your Christian life. You're in the rowboat, and you're rowing. Of course, you're rowing against the stream because everything in your environment is pushing you against God's will. This world and our culture pushing you in the wrong direction. So we are rowing our boat against the stream. And man, if it's been a while since you rowed, you're starting to feel How long will it take for you to feel it in your arms and in your shoulders? Ten minutes? Oh, I am tired. I am worn out. My back is hurting. My arms are killing me. And I'm going to feel it even worse tomorrow. Whoa. We can do that on our own strength and willpower. Wear ourselves out and we look down. How far have we gone? We basically are holding our own. We haven't even made any progress. Or we can get into the sailboat. When we get in the sailboat, there's still, some, there's still stuff to do. You've got to clean the decks, you've know, you got to coil up the ropes, you've got to hoist the sails. But we know in those efforts that we're making, that's not what's moving the boat. We can do those things all day long. That's not what's going to move the boat. The boat doesn't move until the wind fills the sails, and it's the wind that's moving the boat. It's, not a, it's the wind. We're cooperating, but it's the wind that moves the boat. You know, probably, that in the Bible, the word for the Spirit is the word for wind. In the Old Testament, it's ruach, the Hebrew word ruach. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters, the deep there in the creation accounts, the word ruach, sometimes translated, depending on the context, wind. In the New Testament, the Greek word is pneuma, to be translated either spirit or wind, depending on the context, the wind. The Holy Spirit is the wind beneath our wings. The Holy Spirit is the wind in our sails. We do those things in faith that hoist the sails so that we are, we're either going to row this thing out, we're either going to push that motorcycle or we're going to ride that motorcycle with a fully charged battery and a full tank of gas and full tires. We're going to ride not on the highway to hell, but the highway to heaven. Or we're going to climb in that sailboat and hoist up those sails. And the Holy Spirit moves us along in sanctification. What was it that Jesus said? John 3, 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, the pneuma. But do you, not, do you, not know where, you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Our Father in heaven, we pray today that, uh, that we are done with just trying to grind things out in our own willpower, on our own. We're not making any progress that way, and we're killing ourselves and wearing ourselves out. Lord, we want to step back from our busyness, just our, our own efforts, and do those things which surrender us to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ within us, to step back in prayer and acknowledge that you are real, that you've made promises, that you will work for us and in us and through us, just as you said we would. If we believe and trust you, and if we cry out to you in prayer, in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you.